Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to dive right into us, into this. Can we thank the worship team for doing an incredible job and leading us? Amen. Man, I love our team. So many volunteers who give their time, effort, and energy to lead us into the presence of God. So let's pray and then let's uh, learn some about the word today. Father, we thank you for who you are and we worship you. God, we come boldly before your throne. We come with unprecedented access, an access to the presence of God that was never heard of before Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, we have no fear, we have no shame, we run into your arms in Jesus' mighty name. God, I thank you that as we speak tonight, that we learn from the word of God. God, as I speak tonight, that I would pour out what you have to say to your people. God, I pray that I wouldn't talk about my opinion, but I would talk about your opinion of us as stated in your word. God, I pray that you'd guide every word that I speak. God, I pray that you would teach us to think like you today. I pray for heavy hearts here today, people who are struggling with things. I pray that as they're sitting under the word of God, that the burden is lifted off of their shoulders. Pray for people who are dealing with fear or anxiety. God, I pray for people who are dealing with family members who are hurting. God, I pray for people who are wondering how to pay for things that they bought over the Christmas season or whatever it may be. We declare your peace in every situation. We declare your love in every situation. We declare your faithfulness overall. Teach us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. I I love these family services. I remember as a kid, um, I, I, I got some great things out of family services. When I was littler, I didn't get as many great things. I mostly just got coloring books and I sat in there and just colored because our services would last forever. But as I got older, man, the spirit of the Lord would really teach me and pour into me as a child. And I love that. So we're glad to be a part of this together today. But today I want to talk to you about willpower. Everybody say willpower. Willpower is the hottest topic of every holiday season. If you think about it, holiday season kind of just sets you up to fail on willpower, if we can just be honest about it. Because first you have Thanksgiving, where you try your very best not to eat as much as you possibly can, right? And you try to exercise a little bit of self-control, but it generally doesn't seem to work out. And then they do Black Friday, which seems to be Black Thursday evening now. And so you go shopping and you try your best to exercise self-control and not to buy too many things. The best thing I ever heard was the best way to save money is to keep it in your pocket. And so, uh, but Black Friday does that to you. You know, you begin to just spin. Then you've got holiday parties and you try not to eat too much. You try not to buy too many presents because you want to bless your kids. Christy can tell you, we were buying for my nieces and my nephew and I, I'm just such a softy. I'm like, this is our budget. Well, look at this toy. I know they're going to want it, you know? And so you just try to exercise some willpower and some self-control. And that is before we get to New Year's when everybody wants to talk about willpower and self-control. So I was thinking, we were talking yesterday, Christy and I, about, uh, I think it was yesterday, about the gym membership. I got to cancel my gym membership in January, which is awesome. And uh, I just think it's so funny because everybody's adding a gym membership and I'm going to go cancel it. I'm canceling it for two reasons. Number one is because we have a gym in our apartment complex. Number two is a minor detail that I never, ever use the gym, so it doesn't matter anyways. So... I was thinking, what if I go in and I say, hey, listen, 
I'm reversing my New Year's resolution since I never come here anyways. I'm just going to divert all that money to buying Bluebell since it's back. I know that's attainable. I know I can do that. Anybody? And I don't think that's of God, so I'm not going to do that. You know, a lot of us, I think, willpower is a bit more serious for us. Willpower could be anything from overeating to working out to waking up on time to not lying, not cheating, not stealing to various sins. Or maybe it's emotional things. Maybe it's depression or fear or anxiety. Maybe you're suffering from something like that. Maybe you're struggling with a sin. Maybe it's finances. You just can't seem to get a grasp on how to exercise willpower and self-control in your finances. And sometimes we see that happening in our own lives. Sometimes we see it maybe in somebody else's lives that we're close to. And we kind of tell ourselves, well, why can't we or why can't they, depending on the situation, just figure it out? Why can't you just get a hold of this and do it? But you know as well as I do that sometimes that's just not the case. It's not just a matter of just grabbing yourself by the bootstraps and doing it. I think we carry that attitude into our relationship with God a lot. I think we come to him and we think that he expects that of us. I think we sometimes have this attitude and this idea that God wants us to have a strong enough willpower to fix our problems on our own. You know, I should be more mature than this. I should be stronger than this. I should be able to fix this on my own. We sometimes come to the Father and we think that he is wondering, why can't you just fix this? It's really clear to me when I read the Bible, though, that God was intentional in the way that it was written. When I look at guys like Abraham, Paul, and these guys in the New Testament would talk such great things about Abraham, but Abraham really was pretty scared and he was a liar. But he had a lot of faith. But sometimes he was pretty scared and sometimes he was a liar, but he had a lot of faith. And God includes those details for a reason. David, who wrote beautiful songs of worship that we can only imagine just the amount, the volume of songs that he wrote, who spent hours upon hours and days upon days by himself with the Lord in fields watching sheep or in caves hiding from uh, the government basically as a fugitive because he was hated for no reason. We see these wonderful things that he did, but we forget that he was an adulterer and a murderer. We see these people in the Bible who couldn't fix it on their own. Willpower couldn't get them there. God was so intentional in the way that he wrote it. I love this about the Bible. It details the accounts of people's triumphs, but it doesn't forget to detail the accounts of their failures. And do you know what that does for you and I? It tells us that we're no different than anybody else. It tells us that God wants you to be real when you come to him. You know, the Apostle Paul really talked about this in detail, and it's pretty fun to read. I like reading Paul's letters sometimes, but sometimes they challenge me because what he would do a lot of times is he would just be talking and he'd have somebody writing down what he was saying. So sometimes he'll just go on a big tangent and then he'll come back and then he'll do this and that. And he was extremely intelligent. Here's what he had to say on this topic. If you look in Romans 7, 14 through 24, I'm going to read out of the message paraphrase. So it kind of breaks down what he said a little differently because it can get confusing. He said this, I can anticipate the response that's coming. 
I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? And his answer would be, yes, I'm full of myself. That's a great statement, Paul. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. You tracking with this so far? If I can't be trusted to figure out what the right thing is and just do it, then I really need help from God, right? But I need something more, he says. For if I know the law, so I know what's right because God showed it to me, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. Awesome. I love not having a neighbor. <laughs> it's awesome. For, uh, then I obviously need help. Where did it go? Because I made a joke and I lost it. It's awesome. That's really great. Keep sab- Okay, got it. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I can will it but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Reminds me of Star Wars when I say rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? I love how honest Paul is here. He says, listen, I'm just like you. I try to do the right thing, but something always happens and I do the wrong thing. I try to turn left and go to Subway and get like vegetables and the bread's still bad for you, but who cares, there's vegetables. But I end up turning into Chicken Express and getting fried chicken. I don't know what happens. Does anybody understand that? At least on that level, everybody good? Okay, just checking. So there's just these certain things that you just, man, it's something that you just can't get a hold on. And Paul seems to understand this tension in our lives. And I want to focus on what he says in verse 18. He says, I can will it, but I can't do it. Say will and say do. They're two different things. Don't we all feel that way sometimes though? I mean, don't you ever feel like no matter how much you want to do the right thing, you just can't quite get it. You're always just a little bit off. Here's really what Paul was saying. I'm gonna give you a lot of hope today. So be ready for this amazing, amazing amount of hope. Paul is saying you really can't do it. Everybody's like, great, I love that, awesome. Paul is saying, you can't do this on your own. And here's the thing, while we see that and we go, well, that stinks, that's hopeless. When you realize the hopelessness of your situation, you're able then to see the hope that is in Christ. You can stop and go, you know what, if I can't do this on my own, then obviously Christ is the only one who can do it for me. If you keep reading, 
It says in verse 24, I'll read it again just so we can remember it. And then I'll go on to verse 25. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? I want to tell you a secret about that really quick. The woman with the issue of blood had tried everything and she was at the end of her rope. Paul himself had tried everything to get close to God. He had tried to do everything right, obey the law as perfectly as he could, but he was at the end of his rope as well. God loves people who are at the end of their rope. He really likes them. This is the answer. He says, the answer, thank God, is that, in Christ, is that Christ Jesus can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influences of sin to do something totally different. He says that Christ Jesus can and does fix this problem that's inside of us. If you really look at it, he's saying that we can try and we can try and we can try to fix ourselves, but it's only through Jesus that we will be able to get past the will part of it and get to the doing part of it. It's only through Jesus that you can push past just having the desire to change and go to the ability to change as well. But the question for us is this. If Jesus is the only way that we can overcome, then why do we keep trying to do it on our own? Because if we're honest here today, there's some stuff that we still try to do on our own. And I forgot in the holiday season, one of the biggest, toughest things for me, just to be honest, is the parking lot at H-E-B. You know what I'm saying? That's like, ah, Jesus, take the wheel. And so, uh, but not the song. So, I think sometimes, though, to understand what we're doing now, we've got to look back a little bit. I think we've got to take a step back and look at our history and where we come from. Why do we keep trying to fix things that we can't fix instead of giving them to Jesus so that he can fix them? So to do that, I want to look at Adam and Eve, and I want to look at how they lived their lives and what they did. So if you don't know the story, many of you do, but some of you don't. If you don't know the story of Adam and Eve, they were the first humans, this is the account of creation the first humans that God created, and he placed them in a perfect garden, right, everybody? The Garden of Eden, it was perfect, and he gave them the ability to eat from any tree in the garden, the fruit of any tree except one. And I would say that's a pretty good deal. But one day, a serpent came, and he began talking to Eve, and it's odd to me that she didn't go, why are you a talking snake? She just said, okay, let's talk. And so he came, and he began talking with Eve, and he convinced her to do what God had said not to do. And when that happened, they experienced something. I want to share with you what they experienced. Genesis 3, 7 through 10, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. What I'm impressed about is that Adam was a man who knew how to sew. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So do you see what happens here? I'm going to follow this progression. They believe a lie, and then they realize that they're uncovered because of their sin, and their sin leads them to realize they're uncovered, and their uncoveredness leads them to shame. And shame leads them to run from the one who could fix the problem. Shame leads them to hide something from him. 
What's so interesting to me about this is that we think, well, that's really crazy. That's really interesting that they would run from God. But every time that you and I try to fix problems on our own, we are sewing together fig leaves to cover ourselves and to try to fix a problem that only he can fix. We're running from him so he doesn't catch us. But the crazy thing is, is that God's not trying to run to you to punish you. He's trying to run to you to bring life and hope and peace and joy and favor and restoration in return. The problem is our fig leaves are an illusion and God can see right through them. But here's the deal with us. We think that when God sees through our illusion, when God sees through our facade, then what he's going to see is, man, he is messed up. Man, she's got problems. But God doesn't see it that way. Our problem is that we don't see ourselves the way that he sees us. God doesn't see someone who's broken in his life as a wreck. He sees someone worth dying for. Someone who's called to do great things for his glory. He sees the very soul he paid an incredible price to save. Would you like for me to prove that to you today? I don't, it doesn't matter to me if you want me to prove it because I'm going to do it anyway. So Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. When we were utterly helpless, say helpless. Today we were riding in a car with our little niece and she got hungry. And she let everybody know because she was helpless and she needed some food. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for an especially good person. But God showed his great love for us. Everybody say great love for me. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I'm going to take a side, side trip here, a little bit of a detour. Hang with me because I promise we'll connect the dots. We'll come back. This story begins when I was in kindergarten. I lived in South Carolina. Anybody from South Carolina? Anything like that? One person. Awesome. So in South Carolina, I lived there, and I had been saving. Who here watched A Christmas Story, the movie, over the holidays, the 24-hour marathon? I didn't. We don't have cable. so. But so we, it's the best way to go. So the Daisy Red Rider BB gun. Everybody know what I'm talking about from that movie? I didn't get it from the movie, the idea, but in kindergarten, I was saving my pennies for a Daisy Red Rider BB gun with the tassel and everything. I was excited about it. And so I'm saving my pennies, and I go to school one day, and this kid named Brian and this kid named Jonathan were on the playground, and I said, Hey, can I hang out with you guys? And they had just gotten brand new pairs of Arizona, you know, the brand from uh, JCPenney. Arizona hiking boots, both of them had. And they said, well, you can't be in our club unless you have Arizona hiking boots. My little brain didn't know it's just the JCPenney brand. It's not like it's like the best boot ever. But I was like, man, I want to be their friend. So what I did is I left school that day and I told my mom, I think we were going like to Kmart or whatever because it existed back then, to buy a Daisy Red Rider BB gun. I said, you know what? I don't really want that anymore, to be honest with you. I'd rather have Arizona hiking boots. 
My mom kind of knew like something is wrong with this kid. BB gun shoes, what is your deal? And so uh, I was going to say, little did she know I'd be a musician. And so, um, and so I, I'm like, she's like, what is wrong with this kid? So she prized the truth out of me. Ryan and Jonathan said I couldn't be in their club unless I had Arizona hiking boots. And my mom, she's pretty, she's pretty stern about this. She's like, you're going to buy that BB gun. And I'm so glad that I did. Like as a kid, it was great memories with that thing. But I started thinking about that today. You know what I wanted? I wanted to be accepted. And I learned a lesson that day that if a friend needs you to change something in order to accept you, if it's conditional like that, then they're probably not a great friend. My guess is that we take God that way. My guess is that we think that God wants us to fix everything inside of us before we come to him and he'll accept us. We treat God, and don't take me wrong for this, we think of God as though he's a kid with a club on the playground or a clique at the lunch table in middle school. But he's saying, come as you are. He's saying, in fact, I already chose you the way you are, and I knew that. In Psalm 139, if you read what David has to say or what the psalmist has to say in that passage, he talks about, before I ever lived a day of my life, it was all recorded in your book. And he's not just talking about the good parts. He's talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then after that, he says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. Paul conveys to us in this scripture that Jesus came and saved us while we were still in our sins. We think we've got to get cleaned up and look perfect and be awesome and smell good and have the right pair of jeans like you would back in middle school to come to the Lord. But God says, if you'd come to me, I'd fix all of that. It's amazing that we think like that. Here's our problem. And I think if I were you, I'd write this down. I think it's something that we could live by. We keep trying to do good things in order to be accepted by God. But God says that if we just get close to him, He'd accomplish those good things through us. We keep trying to do good things to be accepted by God, but God says, if you just come to me, get close, I'd accomplish those things through you. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can't do anything. So all my efforts to fix myself and then get to God are apart from him, and they don't work. The only way it works is if I'm connected, if I'm close, if I'm with him. And Paul talked about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, about how we're to give ourselves as a sacrifice to God. And it says that we are to let him transform us by changing the way that we think so that we, we will be able to know God's will for us, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You've read a friend that you spent so much time with that you just begin to talk like them and act like them. Anybody have friends like that? Maybe you begin to want to dress like them a little bit, and everybody knows that's really true. You try to say, like, nah, this is just what I like. It's not true. So you dressing like that because somebody else dresses like that and you like it. And so you try to dress like that person maybe, or you talk like that person, or you like the same shows as that person. They got me into this band. I listen to this music. I think it's like that with God more than we know. I think if you'd spend enough time with him, you'd begin to talk like him, you'd begin to think like him, you'd begin to like what he likes, and naturally, things would start to shift and change. 
I think that's what Paul's teaching us. I think he's saying, get close to God. Let him transform you by changing the way that you think. And all that stuff's going to fall into line. Remember in Romans 7, 18, where Paul said, I can will it, but I can't do it. To be honest, some of us don't even have the desire to do what's right. But let me teach you the secret about what God says willpower is. Philippians 2.13 says this. I love it. I'm going to start in verse 12, actually. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. A lot of us are doing that. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. But it says this. For God is working in you. Say, working in me. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So Paul, who wrote Romans and said, I can will it, but I can't do it, is saying, same guy wrote this book. He's saying, but God is working in me. And he's given me the desire, the will, and the power to do it. God's version of willpower isn't that we just muster up the strength on our own. It's that we get close to him and allow him to dig into us, allow him to work in our hearts, and he'll produce a desire to obey him, and he'll produce the power, the ability, the supernatural strength to do it when times are tough. And we can quit leaning on our own accomplishments, and we can begin to lean on him and his love for us. That's what willpower is today. So here's my challenge to you. God doesn't want you to change before you come close to him. He wants you to come close to him so he can change you. So instead of making up a bunch of rules and things that you're going to try to pound yourself to live by, make something that tells you, I've got to get close to God. Remind yourself that he wants you no matter where you're at. And if you just be willing and say yes to Jesus, he can change you for good. But it's going to be tough, but it's going to be a lot more effective than doing it on your own. God's version of willpower is that it's him who works in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that your plan for us is good, as Pastor Dave said. As Troy's saying today, that you're perfect in all of your ways to us. And we try to be perfect, and that's a noble cause, but it doesn't work. So what I want to do is I want to try to get close to you and allow you to make me more like you. So God, change us. Transform us by changing the way that we think. My prayers for anybody here today who thinks, well, I've just got to make it on my own. God won't accept me. I pray they'd see the, the, the fallacy and the lie of that and that they would turn to you and say, God, help me. I pray for people who have been trying to overcome addictions and struggles or fear and anxiety or even things like finances and overeating and not working out and they haven't been able to accomplish it and you would say, God, I will give you the desire and the power to do what pleases me. So come close to me and let me transform you by changing the way that you think. Come close to me and let me show you how much I love you. I loved you enough to send my son to die for you before you could do anything about it because I cared for you enough. God, transform us by changing the way that we think today. The way that we think about you and the way that we think about ourselves, we begin to think God's thoughts about us and not our own. Not the world's, not man's opinions, certainly not the devil's. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us 
at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.